Welcome to this episode of the Connecting Faith to Life podcast. I'm Trey Rhodes, the Connections Pastor at Northwood Baptist Church here in North Charleston, South Carolina. In just a few moments, our lead pastor, Dr. Tommy Matter, will be joining the conversation as well. In our crazy and chaotic world, our hope is that these few minutes will help you stop and reflect on your relationship with Jesus as you learn to connect Christ-centered faith to your everyday life. Well, Pastor Tommy, it's a milestone week. We're diving into week 20 of our podcast, and that is that is really great to get to that point. Um, and as always, we want to make sure that people are encouraging their friends and doing the links and everything, getting social media and just uh, getting the word out about uh, our podcast. And you keep on doing that, and we appreciate what you do. Yeah, we do. Are, we are thankful for everybody who listens in. And yeah, get that word out. That's really helpful. Trey, you doing all right today? I am doing, I understand uh, that you just returned from Cambodia. I did return from Cambodia uh, about a week or so ago. So, so, but we're recording this the week of Thanksgiving. So for mm-hmm. us, Thanksgiving is just a couple of days away. You excited about Thanksgiving? I am. I can't wait to eat some turkey. I'm so turkey that's guy. the question. What, what is your favorite Thanksgiving food? Uh, well, we have what we call candied sweet potatoes. That's my favorite. That's your favorite. Always has been. Yeah. Do you like it's turkey? Like, it's like being able to eat dessert during right, 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 meal, right, right, right. which so, is awesome. So you, you slap that stuff on top of the turkey, or how do you eat it? Any way it works, man. Any way I can get it in my mouth. You know what my favorite Thanksgiving food is? Tell me. Dessert. Yeah, I would agree. Just whatever one. Yeah, Just all of them. Pecan pie. All of them. All of them. All of them. Pumpkin pie. I'm not a big turkey fan, so you like the turkey. I do like the turkey. I actually make turkey besides Thanksgiving, so I like a turkey. Steak and dessert would be a great Thanksgiving meal. And my uh, son-in-law is coming down, and we're serving him steak. Oh, there you go. For Thanksgiving. He, he, he's, he's a wise man to want th- steak on Thanksgiving. So it is Thanksgiving season, and we certainly have a lot to be thankful for, obviously. Trey, I'm thankful for you and your ministry at Northwood and just the friendship God has allowed us to have. Amen. And I'm also thankful for a guest we have today. We have with us, joining us live from 96 South Carolina. That's a strange name for a town, isn't it? It is a very strange name. Philip, do you know the history of 96, why it's called 96? You do you have any idea? There's a few different theories all dating back to revolutionary where 96 was an outpost in the rugged parts of South Carolina. So it's 96 miles from somewhere is is the thesis. There's also some uh, Indian etymology possibly at work there as well. So no one exactly knows why. Well, check you out. You're a great historian, man. I'm very impressed by your knowledge of your town. That is amazing. I had no uh, idea. Uh, I just thought it was a random number. Let's call it 96. <laughs> no, there's a reason in purpose. There's always a reason in purpose for everything, right? So Philip is a dear friend of mine. Philip, how long have we known each other? We said what? You were About 10 years. You were like you were 15 when I first met you. 15. <laughs> oh, yeah. Philip is one of my dearest friends in the world. His life forever changed when he met me, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, and so we've had the opportunity now for the last, I don't know how many years. Over the years, we've gone to the east part of the world Mm. about four or five times now together, and we've had the opportunity to uh, train house church leaders in a persecuted country. And so we had the opportunity to do that just a couple weeks ago. We went to Cambodia together to train house church leaders who came out from their persecuted country to us to meet us in Cambodia, did a week of training with them, and it was uh, just an amazing time. And so we want to reflect on that today on the podcast. We want to talk about our time there and just some of the lessons that we learned from house church leaders. So, Trey, help us out. 
All right. Um, we as over here, we just want to find out how that was for you. And so maybe uh, we could ask a few questions that kind of are some, make some statements to kind of get us moving forward. Uh, let's, let's start with this one. If you're going to follow Jesus, then you need to count the cost. So Philip, just before we dive into that first impressions, when you got off the plane in Cambodia, what'd you think? We were a long way from home. <laughs> yes. And I saw, and, and I saw Krispy Kreme donut in the airport. So it was both, uh, comforting and disconcerting to be that far away. So. Yeah. So whenever you find a Krispy Kreme in the airport of a foreign country, you're 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 in a good place. It makes all the difference. It makes all the difference yeah. in the world, right? And so so when we That's were right. there, we had these house church leaders that came out to us. We spent every day with them in a particular location, training them. And, you know, and just the reminder that if you're going to follow Jesus, you have to count the cost. Philip, when we were there in Cambodia, how did that, that phrase count the cost come to life for you in the lives of those Cambo um, those house church leaders we were with? Well, most powerfully, when we're teaching uh, ecclesiology through the book of Titus, that's church government and governance, kind of how a church should operate through the book of Titus. And I had to teach Titus chapter 3, verse 1, which says, remind the believers to submit to the government and its officers. Mm. They should be obedient, mm. always ready to do what is good. And so as an American who has religious freedom, teaching people from a persecuted country uh, to submit to their government was incredibly humbling. And so as I asked them what that looked like for them, and they shared stories of how uh, certain regions of that country you could not bring your child under the age 18 to church with you you mm -hmm. couldn't do it because they were considered you know a child they couldn't make their own decisions uh hearing about how angry church members sometimes would kind of flip and sell out your house church to the authorities and um just all those stories were so humbling for me and looking at god's word still tells them to submit to the government yeah. and teasing that out was both beautifully beautiful and challenging. Yeah, that's what's really odd is that we were in a foreign context with church leaders who experience some type of persecution on a regular basis, and here we are teaching them about what Scripture says about sitting, submitting to their government, and we're from a context where we don't have those issues. Exactly. N not at all, but yet they do. And I think, Philip, what, what amazed me kind of as we were talking through that, or as you were actually teaching that section, as I was listening to you teach through that section— just the the openness of them and the way they talked about persecution like you know when we were thinking about teaching it i mean we had some you know hesitancy because we don't experience that how do you approach it i mean is is it a sore subject for them but just how open they were to talk about like it's just it's just part of their lives it's just like what they do like they know it and they understand it they walk through it it's just just what they do completely normal it would have been as normal as saying you know, I'm going to church on Sunday to go to Sunday school. It was just part and parcel of, of what they did. Um, you know, it, it reminded me uh, of Jesus, you know, in John 14, I'm sorry, in Luke 14, where he talks about, you know, which one of you doesn't, when he builds a tower, doesn't make sure he has enough to do it. Which mm -hmm. one of you is going to go to war, doesn't he count the number of soldiers? And Jesus' point is, you count the cost. Mm -hmm. and you mm -hmm. make the choice. And so for them, person was accepted. And they became a child of God. Yeah. They've just counted the cost. They know that's what their lives are going to have for them as followers of Jesus. And so, Philip, as you think about that coming back to the States, uh, you know, we're both pastors, obviously, in different areas, but both pastors. So, so how do we take an experience like that and communicate it well to our people and help them understand the seriousness of counting the cost for Jesus? Mm -hmm. it, it's 
so challenging, really. I mean, we live in a world where people get really upset over being said, told happy holidays, as opposed to Merry <laughs> Christmas, and view that as persecution. <laughs> uh, sadly, Christmas goes down when it rains. And so I think looking at, you know, Jesus, right? The man came to him and said, I want to follow you. And Jesus said, yeah, I don't have anywhere to lay my head. Another guy said, I want to follow you. And but first, I got to bury my daddy. And he said, let the dead bury the dead. Mm. You know, one guy said, I want to follow you. And he said, man, you put your hand to the plow. You know, don't look back. And so I think the bar that Jesus holds out for discipleship is far higher than what we hold. And right. so how to teach that, how to practice that, that's tough in our context. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I think in, in, in the third world, you know, uh, there is a lot of persecution and uh, the difficulties that we face, but just being persecuted isn't enough. There's a lot of religions that are persecuted. So I think that's where we have yeah. to jump into the next part, where we're going to talk about right theology, because don't you think that matters as well? That was a great segue, by the way, Trey. I don't know you that well, but that was a stellar <laughs> he segue. He is the great master job. of segues, man. This is why we pay him the big bucks, to wow. segue our conversations. Man, he is so good. He has the voice for it. He has the ability to do it. He just doesn't have the looks for it. I don't. I have the, I have looks, for, I have the looks for radio. <laughs> so back to the segue. <laughs> right, theology matters. What, what, what did we experience there, Philip, just with the theology and, and what was going on? A real concern for it. Uh, many of these ha- uh, house church leaders were, you know, kind of first-generation Christians. They didn't mm-hmm. grow up in Christian homes, and many of them quickly had kind of been called by God to the position of, of pastor and elder. And so there was just a real concern and hunger to, to make sure that what I'm teaching and believing is right. Yeah, yeah. Hunger for that. Yeah. Hunger for that. Yeah, and that's what amazes me about our times that we've gone over there, Philip, is we've had the opportunity to go now four or five times, however many times it's been, and we teach a, a certain curriculum when we go. There, There's a, a, a pastor here in the States who has an organization called uh, World Hope Bible Institute, and he's written curriculum specifically for uh, people who are in a context as church leaders where they don't have access to um, theological training. They don't have a seminary to go to or where the case may be. And so the the goal of this curriculum is to give those who are taking these courses to give them good, solid theology that they can go back to their churches and they can teach their people. Because if it's a house church movement, Mm -hmm. uh, they multiply pretty quickly, right? Because if you have a a church in your house, how big can it get? Not very big. Right? 15, 20 people, it's time to start another church. So you have to pretty quickly teach your people sound theology Mm -hmm. so they can go out and uh, reproduce that church in their homes and they can teach their people sound theology as well. And so this curriculum that we teach is it's, it's, it's theologically sound, but yet at the same time, it is accessible enough where if you don't have a lot of background in Bible or theological training, you can learn it and you can understand scripture and then you can go out and teach it. So it's really cool what this guy has done to put this together. And so Philip, we've probably taught what about eight courses now in this particular system. That's right. Yeah, so we talk about eight, eight courses now, and and so so uh, what's amazing to me? So here we are in Cambodia. These house church leaders have flown out of their country, right? So for Philip and I to go, we paid their what own their own money, right? So we had one one pastor who was there. Uh, he pastors in just a little farming community. I can't imagine the sacrifice that it it, it cost him to come out to hear two American guys teach this 
these classes, right? But he paid seven, eight hundred bucks and then lodging and all that uh, food to come out, to fly out to Cambodia, to spend a week listening to Philip and me talk about theology. I mean, it's just very humbling to know that these people are that hungry to get it right, that they will make the sacrifice. I mean, they don't make the salaries that we make here in the States. And, and maybe this pastor, his, his, his uh, church members took up a love offering. I have no idea. But making that sacrifice to come out and, and hear what we had to say about Scripture so they can go back and teach rightly, there, there is a commitment there to right theology, right? Philip, what did you think Absolutely. about that? How, so that? That was pretty humbling for you too, wasn't it? Absolutely. And I think when you look at what convicts me, my first with you, or uh, the country with you, um, was I went to pull up a, a website like Bible.org or other websites, Desiring God, that I frequent. And over there, your internet's filtered. You mm. don't have access to right. all the theological content that we have right. and that we oftentimes don't use. They don't even have that. And so I think that highlights the hunger they have and kind of highlights the apathy that we have and mm. how we fail to utilize all the resources that we have to rightly learn God's Word. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm curious, what are some of the theological issues that y'all had? Uh, did something come up in particular that just kind of caught your mind as, or your heart as uh, you dealt with some of these things? What do you think, Philip? You want to answer that? Sure. You know, I think sometimes that when we look at churches in persecuted countries, I tend to um, see them as just wonderful movements that are perfect. And, and they are wonderful movements of God, but the same issues that we faced in our churches, mm-hmm. they faced. They faced mm-hmm. issues, you know, over the style of worship. They faced issues over should you raise your hands in worship. They faced issues over tithing and church discipline of disgruntled church members. I mean, all the same things that we faced, they faced. So in that regard, it wasn't that dissimilar from us. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, it was interesting, right? Because I think for us, some of the big theological issues we talked about, now we were doing uh, the doctrine of the church. How do you lead a church? How do you govern a church? How do you structure a church? And we also taught the doctrine of worship. How do we rightly approach God? And, and, And so, like Philip said, a lot of the same issues came up. We talked about baptism, for example, and this is kind of leads into the next next one we're going to talk about. So right theology matters. We saw that very clearly, but also the right practice of right theology matters. So it doesn't matter just what you believe. It's it's actually living out what you believe. How do you put that in practice? Yeah, yeah. In, in a context, like Philip said, where you have a lot of first-generation believers, their mamas and grandmamas didn't believe in Jesus, mm-hmm. and so this whole Christian faith thing is brand new to a lot of people, and so how do you take what you see in Scripture and live it out in a context where you've never done this before, right? Mm-hmm. Or at least here in the States, you know, while we have people who come to faith in Christ, I mean, their grandmas were believers, and so they, they might have some, right, uh, knowledge of what the church looks like over there. I mean, Nothing. they've got the Word, and they're trying to figure out how do I put the Word in practice. So, so it's a much like, more first century sort of feel, in, in, isn't it? In a sense, it is. Yeah. And so you have something like baptism, for example, where I was just shocked because we talked about baptism and then just the struggle they had to figure out what it looks like in their context. For example, two things that stuck out to me. One, in their context, in their country, there are a lot of people who believe that that you're not saved until you're baptized. Wow. You can make a profession mm. of faith, awesome, but but what what makes you right before God is that baptism. That That's that's false teaching, right? Yes, it is. And so they're trying to figure out in their con- context how to combat that type of false teaching. And what amazed me is that a lot of guys over there, a lot of guys and, and ladies as well, uh, are baptized after they place their faith in Jesus, which is what we believe is right, right? We place our faith in Jesus, then we are baptized as, as you know, a symbol of what Christ has done in our lives. But a lot more baptized by being sprinkled. 
Oh, wow. What do you think about that, Philip? That was kind of odd, wasn't it? Well, I don't know if I would use the word odd. I would use the word <laughs> uh, maybe practical yeah. and, and safe. You know, mm. if you're in a church that meets in a house, it's going to be hard to get in a, a tub to get baptized. So practically, you know, sprinkling would work for them. Furthermore, if you went to the river in a closed country and you were baptized publicly, you're certainly going to draw um, the attention. And so I think for them, you have the issue of your faith being public and you have the issue of maybe an absence of water. And I think teasing that out, while that sounds easy to us, mm-hmm. was much more difficult for them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Very interesting. Yeah. So you, we had, you know, house church leaders there uh, that were teaching the word baptism to, and the word literally means to immerse. And yet, even some of those house church leaders had not been immersed. And so they're asking the question, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Right? We, we were sprinkled. Uh, it was post-conversion, but we were sprinkled, not immersed. We need to go back and be immersed and just trying to figure that stuff out. I mean, that that's trying to put right theology in the right practice, and, and it's challenging. Mm-hmm. It's difficult to, to walk through those conversations and ask the question, how am I going to be most faithful to Scripture, even in a context where it's very difficult to maybe be faithful to Scripture because of persecution or because of, you know, practicality, you know, whatever the case may be. So how did y'all distinguish between, well, you know, this is a preference versus this is this is what we, you know, we have to do. I mean, yeah, I let Philip answer those questions. All right, Philip, go. That was challenging in that it preferred for us to give them concrete answers. You should do this. You should do that. So when we discussed deacon ministries, they said, "How do we do it?" And Tommy said, "Well, you know, we at Northwood do this." And then I chimed in and said, "Well, we at Cylon, we we do this." And they were like, "Well, what do we do?" And we're like, "Well, there's, you know, like like Trey said, there's there's not a." necessarily a right way here. And so I think one of the things we try to show them is each local body of believers is going to have some unique distinctives in how they apply God's Word in their specific context. And I think just the discussion showed that for all of us, we're works in progress. And, you know, we can't just say our tradition is 100% right all the time. We always want to be moving more faithfully to how we apply God's Word in our context Mm -hmm. where He has us, I think. Yeah, and that's the issue, right? That when you're teaching theology and you're helping people to live it out, I mean, when you study Scripture, what are the non-negotiables, right? Mm-hmm. Like, we must do this. And then you come to deacon ministry, mm-hmm. which we talked about in great detail. Okay, we know we need to have deacons mm-hmm. because the Scripture shows that as an office of the church, but what does that look like practically, right? And so trying to help them think through that. And we had some rich times of discussion where uh, at the end of our, our, our teaching a particular lesson, we would just say, hey, what, what, do you, what questions do you have? And that's when those questions would come up. Hey, how do we do deacon ministry in the church? Mm-hmm. What, what do we need about baptism? Uh, Philip, what did you think about, you know, we taught that whole section on worship and where we went back and looked at Old Testament worship, the sacrificial system. What, what stuck out to you there as far as how we were trying to apply that in their context? Ooh, yeah. I had an odd lesson on postures of worship in the Bible. So like mm. standing and sitting and clapping and raising hands and being honest, I didn't think it was a very good section to teach, but it led to a really intense discussion about how one worships. Mm. And one lady actually rebuked someone in the class not raising their hand and looking more joyful when they sung. And yeah. so, you know, we use that time to highlight that we can't always judge someone's externals as to what's going on in their heart and life. And so it led to a good discussion about how judgmental we can be about our worship style mm-hmm. and preferences. So, Again, we have the same discussions in our church. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, when you, when y'all were doing this, and then what did, what did y'all do to 
to help them bring this back to their church, whatever y'all were talking about, especially about the church and how you do church. Did y'all help them uh, uh, translate this to their church or give them ways to do that? I think we tried to the best that we could. I mean, you, you have to trust the Spirit of God at work, that the Spirit of God is is taking His Word and applying it to their lives, and the Spirit of God is going to help them to figure out in their context how to live faithfully by His Word. So, you, I mean, I think for me, it is trusting the Spirit of God to work through the teaching of His Word to help them apply the Word appropriately. But, but you know, like like Philip said, we talked about you know, discipleship and worship and all these different um, uh, 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 topics, and we— kept giving them examples of what it looks like here for us in our church and then encouraging them, hey, you got to figure it out. What does it look like in your church? Bring it back to your local church. How can you help your people in this area? And so just, we tried our best to contextualize, but that's difficult because, again, we don't know their context very well. so you've got to kind of rely on them in the spirit to be able to contextualize where they are. What do you think, Philip? How do you feel like we did with contextualizing it for them? I feel like what we tried to do was kind of give them guardrails. You know, kind of right. say, this position will be out of bounds on the right. This position will be out of bounds on the left. And in this middle here, you've got some freedom to interpret and apply things um, uniquely for yourself. Mm. And so I think, again, it kind of highlights the fact that we sometimes we prefer things to be dogmatic. We prefer things <laughs> to be black and white. But oftentimes, in relationships with Jesus and with others in church, not always black and white. And so there is that sense in which we're relying upon the Spirit and where God has placed us in terms of how we flesh out His Word. Mm, mm, mm. Very good. That was different in North Austin as it does in 96. That's right. Ryan. That's right. Well, you know, when you go through all that, where theology and practice and all those things, I think it makes such a huge difference in churches as they are able to then contextualize it. Uh, but even in the midst of that, and I think it goes back to that lady uh, who who stood up and kind of upbraided people for not being joyful in their worship. But the reality is, is that the last thing we want to talk about is consider serving Jesus a joy and a privilege, even if there is persecution oh, yeah. as a result. Don't you think? Oh, yeah. I mean, I think that in all walks of life, when you have joy, you don't mind suffering. Uh, one of the first things that Tommy did with me is I was running a marathon, and Tommy on trail looked up about the last miles. And when he saw me, I, I looked like death. My body was hurting for the next hour and ten minutes. I'm slogging through hills on trails, and and it, it it felt terrible. But you know, you love running, and so you enjoy that. And uh-huh. So anything that we find joy in, we'll gladly pay the price for. And so the immense joy that they had in Jesus meant that whatever they suffered for that was worth it. They found that pearl of great price and they're willing to sell everything they had to do it. And wow. so, wow. yeah, I mean, without joy, without joy, your doctrine doesn't matter. Without joy, your practice doesn't matter. And so really that was the thing that led them to do what they did. Yeah, because, you know, that was the driving factor. That's right. Because they have found joy Nehemiah, in Christ. Go ahead, Phil. I'm sorry. I'm talking over you. Nehemiah 8.11, right? The joy of the Lord shall be your strength. And I saw certainly the joy of the Lord strength and encourage them. And their joy and strength encouraged me far more than I could imagine. That's right. That's right. Because of their joy in Christ, they're willing to sacrifice and come out to Cambodia, listen to a couple of Americans talk theology for a few days because of their joy in Christ. Man, some of the, the, the most, you know, uh, significant moments there with them were, were just worshiping with them. You know, mm. uh, we couldn't understand anything they were singing, right? But, man, just to see them yeah. worship the Lord is just very powerful. And and in the way they worship there, I mean, it was really cool. They'd open their Bible to 
the book of Psalms, pick a few verses and just start singing them. I mean, it was the most great, it was the craziest thing I've ever seen, but man, just the, the singing the word of God and the passion they had for it and, 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 and praying together to hear them pray. Like when, when I pray here, um, you don't pray out loud, do you? You listen to me pray. Yes. Right? right. When I pray for a worship service, I'm, mm-hmm. you know, I'm praying, everybody's quiet. That's not the way they do it there, right? They say, let's pray. Everybody just starts praying. Oh. I mean, just out loud. I mean, it's just crazy, but it's beautiful, right? Mm-hmm. And and then to see, I, mean, I can't imagine, right? Because in, in their country, in their context, every time they gather for worship, there certainly is that that knowledge that this could go bad. Mm. Authorities could come in. This could be the last time we meet together. And, and that's becoming more of a reality where they are. And to see them outside of that context in a context where there probably was a little more freedom for them mm-hmm. that they didn't have to worry about that for a week. You know what I'm saying? I mean, wow. and just the joy of being able to worship and freedom for a few days. Right. I mean, and, and again, just the joy of being together and it was just really ah. remarkable to see their joy. There really is joy in following Jesus, even though you have to count the cost, even though there might be some suffering, even though there might be some persecution and, you know, coming back to the States, I think for me, just the reminder that, um, man, I want to focus on the joy of Christ. And I want to help mm. our people to see, man, yes, life is tough. There are challenges. There's difficult days. But, man, there is so much joy in following Jesus. It's worth counting the cost because of the joy that we have found in Christ. So, Philip, as you kind of think about the trip and, and, and walking away from it, what do you think, I mean, for you, just the big takeaways were for you? You know, Tommy, something you said was, you know, they worshiped under the threat of this could be their last time. Mm. And I couldn't help but think how differently would we worship mm. this Sunday if it would be our last time meeting together with these believers? Yeah. If we do, it's kind of the idea of, you know, approaching it. This could be our last Sunday, so don't leave anything behind. You know, pray as if you won't get a chance to pray again. Worship as if you won't get a chance to worship together again. And to some degree, the persecution they experience would lead to an intensity and a fervency that we probably would lack and explains our apathetic posture towards the church. Yeah. And so for them, it was their body of believers. It was their support. It was their encouragement. And it was essential to their Christian life, where a lot of times we might view church in the West as more like a, a supplement yeah. and not the main core to yeah. our, our Christianity relationship with Jesus. Yeah. yeah. Well, Pastor Tommy, you know, uh, we have people listening out there, and they're thinking, that's over there. And uh, what kind of impact can that make on our local church, our, our beliefs right here? where we are in the United States of America. Can you kind of fill this, yeah, I think fill the, fill the things, gap right, for right, us? Right, right. So here you are, you're listening, you're in your car, you're listening to this podcast. You, you, you don't understand the context that you've never been over there, and I, and I get that. And I would just say to you, if you're listening today, a couple of things. One, man, pray. Pray for these people as they follow Jesus faithfully. But also expose yourself, right? You know, learn. I mean, go to the IMB website, imb.org, or Operation World website, and learn what God is doing. We've talked about this so many times on the podcast, just being aware of what God is doing around the world so you will know how to pray. And, and I mean, we've talked about this so many times as well, Trey. Whenever the opportunity arises for you to go and you are able to go, do it. You need to put yourself in a context where you see what God is doing because it will change your life and change your perspective uh, on the world. And so so we want to encourage you, especially at a church like ours at Northwood or a church like Siloam in 96, man, we want to help you to be mm-hmm. in a place where you can go and you can experience and you can serve the Lord internationally so that you can see what God is up to and so you can be a part of that. I mean, it's just so vitally important. I know for me, you know, my life has been, been changed by these just short-term trips where I've gone and I've, you know, been on evangelistic trips or I've gone and I've you know taught the Bible. Those things have been formative for me, and they've been so helpful. Philip, give me a final thought. For you, how, how have these trips uh, to the East been formative for you? I think that they're twofold. One, just 
being practical. It's a nice break from mm. life and uh, ministry here in the States. And so it's nice to get to go and spend time with my best friend, Tommy. And so there's a, a practical element that I look forward to personally. And, and I'm in charge, I'm recharged, and I'm challenged by, by getting away That's from right. different contexts. I hear God speak a lot of times, you know, just without the breaks in normal life here. And then secondly, just coming back and, again, how do we, you know, their question is how do, how do, how do they content, how do they contextualize what we're teaching them? And for me, I come back and I say, how do I contextualize yeah. the passion mm-hmm. and the urgency they have for evangelism, their boldness and their faith? How do we get that here? And so I think seeing that we're part of brothers and sisters across the world and we can learn from each other. And that our kingdom is not just North Charleston or 96, but we are part of the kingdom of God that transcends borders and nations and just worship about what heaven will see around that throne. Revelation 7, all people, sons, tribes, and nations being gathered. And so uh, just echoing what you said, sometimes that short-term mission trip can have major long-term changes in your own life. Absolutely, absolutely. Pastor Tommy, why don't you close us out? Yeah, Philip, thanks so much for joining us today. It's been a great conversation. Appreciate your friendship. Appreciate your partnership in the ministry, man. Looking forward to heading back to the East with you soon. And if you're listening, we're so glad that you tuned in today to listen. We hope that this has been an encouragement and blessing to you. And we hope that uh, you've been encouraged to pray for believers all over the world. We hope that you've been encouraged to consider how God may be calling you to be involved in his global plan. And and as always, uh, we hope that uh, you'll take the time to subscribe to this podcast if you have not, so you can have new content content delivered to your device every single week. Hey, if you don't mind, leave us a review and and let us know what you think. And also, as always, we hope that this podcast has helped you connect faith to life.